Friend, if you are listening to this live, I do not want you to miss out. I am teaching a free masterclass on the 13 signs of burnout. This is an assessment backed by science and research that I will guide you through to help identify where on the spectrum your symptoms are. Are they a little bit burned out? Are they a lot burned out? As well as signs you might not realize are things you don't have to live with. It's not how everyone else is living or feeling or thinking. Those are signs of burnout. And the incredible news is if you are burned out, it is something we can heal. And once you know that, you do not want to spend another week feeling worse when you know you could feel better. You don't want to spend another week not living up to your full potential when you know you could unlock a version of yourself where you feel more peace and pride. So you can find the link in the description below and details about my healing burnout course for which enrollment opens today just for a limited window to welcome in our second ever cohort to go through this experience together and then continue to heal together inside the Elegant Excellence community. I know that your life is so full and busy that it can feel like you don't have the time to slow down, to get help, to go to a workshop, to be a part of a course and a community. You don't have time to learn and change and grow. In today's episode, I will make the case that, my dear, you cannot afford not to because every week that you say, just one more week of hustling, of being in this busy season, and then I won't be so busy, then I'll be able to call you back, then I'll be able to catch up on sleep, then I'll be able to fill in the blank. Every week you say that is another week of not living up to your potential another week of making your life more miserable than it has to be, and delaying the life of more peace, joy, breathing room, and confidence that you deserve. So join us at the links below today, and I will see you there. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, hello, lovely, from gray and chilly Brooklyn, where I find myself officially back in the throes of winter, where I basically wear two or three sweatsuit outfits on repeat. I had sort of forgotten that this is where I was a year ago, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh yes, old friends of the cream sweatsuit and the blue sweatsuit. This is pretty much what we do every day around this time of year. But I am enjoying that the Christmas decorations are down, the more spacious, lighter home feels in line with my mood to start this year with less clutter. I shared on Instagram a couple weeks ago that we spent New Year's Day decluttering a little bit. We organized the office closet and the guest bathtub because Welcome to New York City Living, our uh, second bathtub, which no one uses because we barely have guests. And when we do, they can use our bathtub and shower, is our storage unit. So we cleared those out. And then last night we did our washing machine closet. And uh, do other people have those? I guess actually now that I say this, I should clarify. So I know from watching home design shows that other people have laundry rooms we have laundry closets. So it's just the two units. And guys, this, this is like the apex. Like I am a success story. I live in New York City and I have a washer dryer in my apartment. Now the next step down is if you have one in your building. That is really big. Most of us in New York, we do not have them in our building and we have to go to the laundromat or pay the fluff and fold that does it for you or the laundry pickup service. There's like a whole hierarchy of where you are in the ability to do your laundry. So we have a laundry closet, which is amazing, but that means we have like one shelf above it where all the things are. So last night we were organizing that and I just am craving more spaciousness. And I share this in case hearing it inspires your own kick of being like, you know what? That would feel good. The next up on my list is we have three miscellaneous drawers in the kitchen. It's where like the packing tape is, the supplements that I'm supposed to take, but I never take the, I don't know, the flashlights in case of emergency, but it's just like the drawers don't really close. So I feel like once you start one thing, it does carry over, right? It waterfalls once you're like, oh, that closet looks so good. This feels so much better. Then you're like, what else can we do? And 
you know, obviously, that I love a organized clothing closet, and I have a whole system that I teach inside my style course that helps so much with really loving what you own, feeling good about what you have, wearing more of what you own already, needing to shop less, etc. But there's a lot of stories that come with our clothes. So it does take more intention when you get to the point of my organizing process there where it's time to kind of deal with the clutter that remains. That can have a lot more stories with it, so it does feel like a little bit more of an emotional lift. And I now, so I don't have or overwhelm in my closet of clothing, but I do have that sense of like, there definitely are some more things in there I could clear out. Like, I'll get around to that. But my approach has sort of been, let's start with all the other areas, and then I think that momentum will have me be like, okay, this is sort of the last one, but I feel in such a good energy that my guess is that I'm going to purge even more than I would have if I had started there. I'll let you know on Instagram how that goes, but that is the energy that I am headed to in case, again, that inspires any of your organizing in your own home. And something else I was organizing in the last week was all of our testimonials from the first group of students that went through the Healing Burnout course and the Elegant Excellence community at the end of last year. And as I was going through them, I really made a point to go slowly and really appreciate what I have created here and the impact that it's had. And I don't mean that as in like, look how amazing this thing I've created. Like, I feel so proud of myself. I more mean from a place of curiosity. Like, I was really struggling in this area and I got scrappy and I figured out how to heal and I tried a gazillion things and it took a lot of years and I consumed oodles of content to try to figure it out. And then I looked back and I I wrote it down and I was like, here, here was all the years put into a, a few weeks and put into a path. And now I'm getting to read the testimonials to see how it's playing out for others. What other angles are they enlightening me on? What other elements am I like, you know, I didn't even think about the fact that someone might be resistant to that or have a win in that. That wasn't my experience. But you know, now that you share that, Micah, I look at myself and realize there's another area of growth for me and how what I kind of realized that I did is like, this is the greatest thing I'm trying to solve within myself. So by creating a course and community around it, now I too am supported back by saying, anybody else want to work on this together, like in an accountability group and just creating what you need for yourself? It blesses others, but then it also blesses you in return. And one sentence that stood out to me as I was reading them last week is, it's because, or, or not even one sentence, but one reflection, stood out to me because it is something that I have said about myself a couple years ago. A, a couple years ago now, I think. And then my best friend said about herself, like, the second half of last year. And, and that stuck with me, where I was like, oh, you're in a place that I was in a couple of years ago. And then a student named Louise said it. And it is about the fear of slowing down to spend time with yourself. And specifically, that that is actually a phase two. It's a second phase of slowing down that the first fear of slowing down is more about the outside than the inside. And so I'm curious when you see this topic for today on why you're afraid to slow down, whether your mind immediately went to the outside or the inside. The outside is, I'm afraid to slow down because everything won't get done. And what happens if everything doesn't get done? Like, will I be able to pay the rent? Will I get fired? Will I be embarrassed? Will I have people mad at me? Will I have to pull an all-nighter to catch up? Will I go into credit card debt? I think those are the initial loudest fears are about the outside. And when you are sprinting, just to try to survive and keep all of the balls in the air. And again, some of that is like social survival. I don't want my friends to be mad at me that I quit on them. I don't want the shame from my boss that I didn't do that. If I'm an entrepreneur, I don't want to go back and tell my team that I didn't get to that. There's this real survival mechanisms that I think are the first layer of that. And so from that, we keep sprinting to keep all the balls in the air. And we can't even notice that underneath that, that you are afraid to be with yourself. And there may be some of you listening who, when you 
saw that topic of why you're afraid to slow down, you did think, because I don't want to sit with myself, because I'm afraid of my thoughts, I'm afraid of my feelings. But I think that is a smaller percentage of us. It shows that we've already started to do this work on the outside. So when it comes to doing this work on the outside, over the years, I've had to ask myself questions about that. Like, number one, is this pace sustainable? The not slowing down pace, the hustling, the sprinting, the being super full, super busy, what overwhelmed, whatever the, the words and the descriptors are that resonate most with you. Is this sustainable? No, because if it was, you wouldn't be listening to this episode. <laughs> I think you are listening to this idea of a, a fear of slowness because you are craving more rest, more vacations. You want to spend more time with friends and family. You are tired. And so you don't have this slowness embodied all over your life. And a full life requires that slowness. So is this pace sustainable? No, because I'm not living the way that I want to live. Not only am I exhausted and constantly craving rest, I'm always feeling a little bad about the fact that I'm not spending more time with friends and family. I'm always feeling a little resentful that I'm working this hard and I'm not further along. Like this isn't sustainable because I'm not actually happy here. So this obviously isn't working and I'm actually feeling lesser than. I am feeling tired or disconnected or resentful. So I don't want to sustain this. I don't want to live the, the rest of my decades on earth like this. Number two, is this just a season? No, <laughs> it is not. If you've been living like this for more than two months, like if this is, this is not only because you have an infant, let's say, and you're like, well, I have a baby, so I'm waking up throughout the night, and so that's why I'm so exhausted. Yes, 100%, that is true. But did you also have too much on your plate before the baby came? Was your life really slow and spacious? If it was, I would imagine you weren't listening to this episode because you're like, I've already fully addressed the fear of slowing down. And now I have complete peace about the fact that this is a hard, exhausted new parent season, but this is the season. This will pass. This isn't about my character. This isn't about the way that I'm fully choosing to live my life. This is just a season. You weren't living totally peacefully, and then it's only because of this one project at work or this one friend or family fight. Because if that was the case, then you wouldn't be burned out. And I say that because I had very bad scenarios in 2022, and I avoided burnout, or I saw this truly is a season, and I was correct. I, I was like, this, this circumstance has happened and it's going to be a rough two months. And after this two months, it's going to get better. And that actually happened. Instead of when I was burned out and I was constantly saying, just one more launch, just one more, just a couple more months. It's just, it's just a tough season. We're going to get there. And I never got there. And I think we really need to be honest with ourselves. Am I being the girl who cried wolf? Is this just keep going? Because when you are rested and you have those reserves, you can go through things in life that are very, very hard. They may be traumatic. They may be grief-filled. They may be life-changing, but you aren't burnt out. And you are acknowledging, I am deeply grieving because someone in my life just died. But if I came into it already burned out, then I am really struggling. If I came in with the reserves, I can appreciate. I know what's happening. I'm going through deep grief. And while I, you know, will always have an element of grief in my life now, this is going to be a season that I, an experience that I heal from. So the pace isn't enough because you're not sprinting and it's all working. <laughs> you're sprinting and exhausted. And for most of us, the sprinting also isn't even succeeding. When I look at the women in my life who are, are running really fast, it's not that they're like, you know what? My career is amazing. My relationship's phenomenal. My health, totally flourishing. The only issue is that I'm tired. So yes, the pace is tiring, but it's worth it because I am so happy in every other area of my life. For every woman I know that is killing themselves, 
there are also areas that are not working. They're like, but I'm not having time to go to therapy. I'm lonely because I'm not seeing my friends. I'm not getting in my workouts. I wish I could see my family more. I'm just a little bit more work and then my career will have succeeded. So I think you slow down. If you were in that season and you're like, yes, this is resonating. I do feel like I'm kind of trapped on that hustle treadmill. And I guess you're right. It's not really working or I would be super happy on the treadmill. I would be like, this is the life. I wouldn't be feeling overwhelmed or disconnected or like, I can't keep this up. So I think you slow down when you just realize this is insanity. I am sprinting, which I cannot keep up for the rest of my life. And even in the season when I am, quote, keeping it up, it's not even working. So you see the futility in it. And then is when I think you start to notice, when I go back to myself, like where I was seven years ago, or I kind of lose track of time, when I started this journey. And when I observe it then in my best friend, who was quite a few years behind me in that, and she would say that as well, you start to notice other messages around you of people saying, hey, I was there too, and I found a better way. And it actually worked for me. Like, here's my receipts. Here's my proof. Here's my story. Books like Essentialism, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, How to Do Nothing, Free Time. I can see now as I look at my bookshelf, oh, I started to notice books and be drawn to books where other people were not saying, here's how I crushed my business. Here's how I scaled my business. Like these entrepreneurship books that I was reading my first handful of years in business. Instead, I started to shift to, okay, great, I've got the, you know, multiple six-figure business or I've got the seven-figure business or I've got the Instagram following, whatever. But like, this is killing me. So where are the books on how people are surviving whatever it is that they're doing? You start to, to be drawn to and notice those books, those podcast topics. People like me come into your life and across your path and you realize, well, if my way isn't working – It's not sustainable to keep this pace up, and it's not enough anyways, and other people have tried another way that they say is working, and also, their way is so much easier. So I guess, what what do I have to lose? Even if I was wrong, even if their way didn't work for me, and I ended up in the same place in terms of my circumstances, I wouldn't be killing myself. So like, what do I actually have to lose? It would have to make my life so much worse that it doesn't equal out. But even if I just stay in the same place, it's gonna feel easier. And again, if what's happening right now is not working, you realize it's not actually that risky because right now I am driving off a cliff. Like I can see that I can't keep up this pace. So (laughs) Thelma and Louise, uh, metaphorically, is in front of me. I think I just should take this other road off to the right And just see if this can be better because I can see that this path is not going to lead me anywhere good. And I saw that for myself and then I saw it for one of my best friends. And where we start to pay more attention to the, is there a better way? And we start to live out the outside actions. And I think once we start to, to take, to be willing to take those actions and to say, I'm going to slow down on the outside, then we uncover the second fear of slowing down, which is on the inside. And that was my journey when I look back and I realize first I was trying on the outside, my schedule, my revenue streams, my commitments, all of that stuff. And then as that peeled away, there was this new fear. And then I saw it just in the last six months or so with my best friend. And as I said, she is a few years behind me on this, which she would totally agree with. She is an Enneagram 7. Choosing less for Enneagram 7 is so hard. All they want is diversity and novelty and all of the experiences, major FOMO, don't want to have to make trade-offs. And I think I want to share that because I think part of it, you know, when I say she was, quote, behind me, it doesn't mean in a remedial sense, like, oh, I'm the more mature and wise friend. No, it's just our personality types, our paths, our circumstances, in part, I got to a a rock bottom pain point years earlier than she did. 
where I was like, I can't live like this. And she wasn't quite that bad yet, maybe for herself. And maybe different circumstances or teachers or teachings came into our life. I hired a business coach that started to talk to me about this. Now, while I'm her one of her best friends and I'm talking to her about this, it's not quite the same thing as when you've actually gone to and paid an expert to say, please tell me what is wrong with me. And they're like, this is the answer. And you're like, okay, I'll be more of an essentialist. So that, and then on top of it, you have different personality types. What are our motivators, our childhood stories, our past traumas, our limiting beliefs, all of those things. So I also want to say, if you are coming to this now, don't have any sense of, oh, even if you're, you, you feel like you're older than me or you've been in your career longer than me or something, feel any sense of, well, I'm behind because Hillary already started down this path. I truly do believe it's coming to you at the right time when you are ready for those shifts. So with my friend, we joked for years that she would joke that she was the least essentialist person we knew and I was the most essentialist person. But I saw that change in the last couple of years. She hit her own version of a personal rock bottom. And and a rock bottom, by the way, doesn't mean like in a public way. It doesn't mean that anyone but like your few closest friends would be like, I think you reached your breaking point where you were like, I don't want to live like this anymore. You know, it doesn't mean like you got into a car accident or you were having suicidal ideation or you got into credit card debt. Like it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can just be an inner knowing where you're like, I can't live like this anymore. I think that there's got to be something better than this. We just reached that point. So she reached it a few years ago and I so noticed that in her. And then – More recently, she too was faced with what slowness means on the inside once she had started to shift what it means on the outside. And I've shared that for me, that slowness on the inside was best encapsulated by only wanting to shower while listening to a podcast, (laughs) which to me was just the ultimate example once I realized it of I don't want to spend 10 minutes alone with my thoughts. I don't want to spend 10 minutes alone with my thoughts. I'm not okay with silence. Showering is a culturally agreed on time when the vast majority of people are doing it in silence. It's not that long since we came up with the idea of a a waterproof radio shower. It's not like 50% of the population is doing this. Most people are able to shower and just be with their thoughts. Are you able to drive in your car without the radio on? Are you able to go on a walk without anything in your ears? Are you able to sit by a pool and not be reading or listening to something and just observing? Like, What are those examples for you? But that was the biggest one for me where I realized I'm not wanting to get in the shower until I've chosen what podcast I want to listen to. And I was like, this is weird. I also just had the realization working on this episode, that I created the Elegant Excellence Journal to help me slow down on the outside, not realizing that it would require me to slow down on the inside. I didn't know these two layers of addressing the fear of slowing down. I have shared that my friend Jessie years ago had mentioned that she journals for an hour every morning. And I thought, she must know herself so well. I recall having that first thought and being envious of it and yet not being like, you know what I'm going to start doing tomorrow is journaling. So how, how often do we do that where someone says something and we think that must feel great and we don't then go to, so what could I do to bring that into our life? And that's because there is some resistance there. It feels, even if we can't identify it, there is some element to that where we're like, but I wouldn't know how to start, or I don't think that would work for me, or even more so, I have some fear or objection that I can't even articulate right now because no one put me on the spot and said, well, why don't you start journaling for an hour tomorrow? Like, that, then I would have had to be like, well, it's this and that. And ultimately, I would have said, well, I don't have the time to do it, which then goes back to the outsideness of slowing down. So that's the pain point I was at. When I created the Elegant Excellence Journal, it was initially for fellow entrepreneurs who felt like – it was honestly for myself to be like, I 
I cannot do it all. How, what other, I've got all the Google Docs and things like that. There must be some other way that I can clarify how to take more off my plate so that I can be less overwhelmed, exhausted, and burnt out, so that I can slow down on the outside. And then I realized that it became a, a process, an experience using the Elegant Excellence Journal of slowing down on the inside. And so initially, in that journal, we start off, the, in the classic journal, we start off with the portrait, which is a, a big vision casting exercise for your year. Some people like to do it twice a year. So you're laying all of that out, and then you moved into your, um, you're your, your on a weekly basis, like, what are my projects? What are my priorities? Like, let me stay on track. But bit by bit, but you also, there was thought work in there. There also was self-coaching in there. And bit by bit, the more that I did that, the more that I allowed myself to focus on the self-coaching and the thought work part, the easier the outside part became. It wasn't that I cleared my schedule and then I found that space. It's because I subconsciously created the product that I needed, even when I couldn't have told you that is what I needed, that I was addressing the outside slowness, but I also had components of the inside slowness because I did know they were related, but I also was aware I'm I'm afraid of slowing down with myself and I'm not fully acknowledging that that's what I'm going to have to do with this product. And so in the earlier days, once I got through all those amazing vision casting parts, and I got more into the weekly pages and then they became for me more daily pages and I started doing more self-coaching in those times rather than trying to organize and plan and control my outside. I started to sit and soften more with the inside. I was really resistant to journaling because I didn't quite know what I was anxious about. You know, when you're so fast on the outside, you don't know what's beneath that. Once, you know, there's like choppy waters on the top. And once you're just like, the waves are crashing, like you don't even have time to think about what's happening at your feet, you know, as you're swimming below the ocean there. But once the water calms and then you can start to see through to the bottom, now you're able to look down at your feet in the water here and be like, oh, what is below there? And maybe there's anxieties there. Maybe there's like, maybe there's eels swimming around in there. And I don't love eels, but I was worried about drowning in the waves. So I did not have time to worry about the eels. <laughs> but now that the waves have calmed, they are there and I am going to have to deal with them or deal with my fear of them. And so I didn't quite know. I knew I was anxious. I knew I had always struggled with anxiety, but I didn't always know what I was anxious about. And I was afraid to discover what it was because it might be something that then would get worse before it was better. Almost like, well, now all I've done is identify the wound and I'm just paying more attention to it. I'm like, yeah, that hurts. I don't know how to heal or fix it. But earlier, I was distracted. You know, have you ever been in pain and you're like, I just need something to distract me? Like your mouth is hurting from a something you had to do with the dentist or whatever. And you're like, if I can just watch a show that really sucks me in, I will stop thinking about this pain. And this felt like I'm going to sit here and just think about this pain, even though there might be not be anything I can do to get away from it. Wouldn't I rather distract myself over here with all of the busyness? Wouldn't I rather be splashing around in the waves than having to just sit with acknowledging this pain? Or I would realize I had to do something that I really didn't want to do. Like a scenario like I have a team member that I know things aren't working out with or a friendship or a conversation I have to have with a family or the romantic relationship I'm in, I, I think I need to, to break up. But if I acknowledge that, the 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 royal I, the, the royal we, if we acknowledge that, then we're going to be like, well, what are you going to do about it? And then you have to think about having the breakup conversation, the friend conversation, the boundaries conversation with the family, firing the person who works for you. That is a horrible scenario to have to go through. So we would rather just, just keep swimming, like just stay busy and you can be, quote, too busy to deal with it or even to admit that you're not dealing with it. So my friend said one day, I realized when I slow down, and what they meant was like slowing down to, to journal, to really be quiet in that way, the second level of slowing down. I realized when I slow down, I'm faced with the melancholy part of me. 
And I was like, that is a great way to put it because it's that part where you admit then you are sitting with, there is some teaching and I don't know where it's from, but I believe Tara Branch says this, it's it's having tea with yourself. You're having tea with your fears, your fears, your insecurities, the things you're sad about, you wish you were different, you don't know how to fix yet. You're just sitting and having tea with them. You are looking at them. Whereas usually we are staying really frantic so that we don't have to sit with them. And you may be listening thinking, yeah, I don't want to sit and just think about all the things I'm sad about. I don't want to sit and just think about what I'm anxious about and what I don't like about myself and what's wrong with my family and whatever. Like, who wants that? Who wants to spend time doing that? But as her friend, Oh my gosh, I kept reflecting back to her the last year or two. You are healthier, happier, clearer, calmer, more confident than I have ever seen you. And I realized in thinking on this topic for us that we think it is going to make us feel worse to see the hard parts of ourselves and our lives. But it actually... 100% makes us feel better because staying sprinting and always moving to avoid yourself, to avoid telling yourself the truth is exhausting and you never fix anything. The treadmill never ends. You, You never heal. The pain, that pain, that tooth pain, it never goes away. Now, we don't want to go to the dentist because we're afraid of the dentist, but then we sit with perhaps in this metaphor, uh, but then, or analogy, then you sit with that tooth pain for five years. When if you had just gone to the dentist, it would have been a scary hour and then two uncomfortable days, and then it would have been over. When you slow, it feels scary because it's unknown and unfamiliar. And we are so comfortable with the pain that we have. The, de- the devil you know beats the devil that you don't. We've gotten so used to that pain. But honestly, what I realized is that you can overcome that in a mere matter of weeks. And I really mean that. In thinking back over myself, that period of time where I was feeling anxious about sitting down to journal was not a very long time. That, that, that feels like it was a couple of weeks of that before I then got to the point where now I crave that time because I know that if I don't have it, I will be anxious. But if I slow down, I'm going to feel better the rest of the day. It is like an ice bath as a dancer. So while I was cleaning out that closet on January 1, I have a big box of journals and I was just flipping through them a little bit. And I found this journal that I started when I kicked off the Broadway tour of 42nd Street many years ago. It was my first big break as a dancer. And so I start it when I'm like, you know, headed, I think I started it on the plane from California to New York City. And so just a few days into rehearsal, I have this story that I've gone to church on Sunday morning with Amanda Klutz and Beth Johnson. And then we are leaving church on Fifth Avenue. And I am walking barefoot down the streets of New York City because my feet are so incredibly swollen from days of rehearsal. I have never in my life had eight-hour rehearsal days because you don't you don't have that those hours in high school. You don't have them in college. I've never danced for this long, not to mention in this pressure-filled environment where I'm trying so hard to like not mess up and not, you know, pick up uh, quickly, all these things, do it full out. So I, my feet are not only blistered, but they are incredibly swollen. And then I don't have any shoes I can wear in them that don't give them more blisters because they're so swollen. So we actually ended up going to Macy's and all buying ourselves new shoes. We all bought these matching burgundy Steve Madden clogs because they like didn't touch as, you know, as much of your foot as they could. But no one ever told me at that point to ice my feet. Then two years later, when I left that tour to join the Radio City Rockettes, I was in a new community and they had passed down over the years that after rehearsal, if you give yourself an ice bath, it will be 10 excruciating minutes of your legs in a trash can in your hotel room with ice from the ice machine down the hall at the hotel and water. And for 10 minutes, you are going to be like, I hate this. But then the next day for eight hours, 
you are going to feel peace. And if you do not take that 10 minutes, you are going to be dying the next day when you already, your feet hurt so bad and you're back to another eight hours of rehearsals. It was game changing to realize you can be in pain for eight hours or in just 10 minutes. You can solve it and you're going to be in good shape the next day. And so I realized then for my friend, for example, I think it took her a little bit longer. I think it was a few months of back and forth because she wasn't that super intentional with it. It was sort of like, I'm going to try this. I don't know if it feels good. It was almost like she was putting her feet in the ice bath for like a minute or two minutes and then taking them out. And then the next day, it hasn't really made a difference, you know? But the first time I did the ice bath, because I had a community around me, because I was in a hotel room with like eight other dancers, we were all doing it together, or people were being like, trust me, you're going to feel so much better tomorrow. I've been there. I've done this for years. I didn't take my feet out of the ice bucket. I kept them in there for the 10 minutes. And so I felt the difference right away. And because she was doing it on her own, in her apartment, without a structure, without a community, whatever, she was sort of like, I don't know, this doesn't feel so great. I think I'm going to stop. Ah, that didn't feel so great yesterday. I think I'm like going to take another week before I get back to it. But now she has really gotten into a rhythm and poof, it now feels so good to sit with herself in a way that I've never heard her talk about. And the final penny drop for me were our inaugural students in the Healing Burnout course. Louise, this one gal in particular, said, she said the most impactful lessons were the slow sessions, which slow sessions are, they're like moving meditations, like active journaling or an audiobook with pauses and somatic practices. <laughs> like, I don't quite know how to describe it. I made it up because it's what I wanted, that I wanted to start with like a little physical something instead of just sit in the same position every day and just try not to move. Instead, it's like you're doing breathing exercises or you're like rubbing your heart or you're like you're pounding on your legs or you're stretching. You're doing these different somatic practices to like bring you into your body to kind of be like, I am present in this moment. Then in meditation, the most common form of meditation that we are taught is to not think. You are trying to let your thoughts float by and not be captured by them. Beautiful, powerful, needed, and necessary. But for me, these times are intentionally about thinking. You are slowing down to think with yourself. So I'm asking questions and then leaving space with quiet music for you to think or write about what your response is. So whether you are driving or walking or folding laundry or you're sitting with your Elegant Excellence journal, you're hearing from yourself, but it doesn't require 20 minutes of just silence where also you're trying to not think. Instead, it's guided, but you're also not hearing just my wisdom and answers. If you listen to an audiobook straight through, this podcast episode straight through, you're hearing from me. There isn't that space unless you choose to pause and be like, I'm going to take a few minutes, just think about what Hillary said, let it sink in, see how that resonates for me, see what my applications are. Your mind is going faster when you listen to one of these podcasts because when I'm like, for you, is it this? Is it this? Is it you're afraid of, you got to fire someone, you got to break up with someone, you got to set the boundaries with your in-laws. Like, Is that the thing for you? But I'm not then giving you a few minutes to be like, what is it for me? And then it's also this and it's also this and really pulling that out. It's hearing from yourself. So to continue, Louise said, the most impactful lessons were the slow sessions. To be honest, it scares me to slow down. So I was often reticent to hit play. But when I overcame my fear and spent time with myself, I had ahas that will stay with me forever. Before the healing burnout course, I felt stuck. Now, that glue that used to hold me down is slowly lessening its grip. My phrase for this year is be purposeful with your beautiful self. And I love that with. It's be purposeful, but in line with, being present in, being, being in your body, tuning into what you need. She said, this phrase would not have been possible without this course. Now, the course is only six weeks, and she didn't specify. By the time I finally got to the last week, I decided to give in and do the slow sessions. And she didn't say it took me halfway through before I faced that fear. So I would guess while she was feeling reticent, she did use the accountability of the container of the course in the same way that I did that ice bath. And she did it in week one. She did it like, you know, week one and a half. She got around to it. And then she realized, oh, this isn't as scary as I thought. 
this actually is kind of amazing. And Sarah Beth, another student, said, I loved the emphasis on slowness. This was about the course and the the experience. She said, I loved the emphasis on slowness, just 10% better, just taking small steps towards healing instead of a checklist of things to do. It was and is such a hard mindset shift for me, but it's probably my biggest takeaway from this course and what I needed so deeply. And I love the slow sessions. And so this sense as well where she's like, that mindset shift is so hard and it didn't happen overnight, but it is my biggest takeaways that I can feel within me. I am slower. I am gentler with myself. I am more supportive of, I only need to grow 10% better. I don't need to be able to fix all of this. I This is just a, a small step towards healing one day at a time. I don't need to be able to solve the whole equation in order to start to feel better and start operating from that place. So what Sarah Beth found was an invitation to slow down, which you are also getting in this podcast, permission to slow down by having a community. That is by having a a mentor, uh, a friend like myself, and a community saying, we're all doing this too. (laughs) You are not slower than everybody else. You aren't going to be behind everybody else. She was given examples, encouragement, a community, a structure, not just quitting cold turkey, having a path and a plan, action steps, and also the why behind them. Why do you have that inclination? Why are you afraid of that? Why? What's the cultural story? What's the family story? What's the past fear? What's the limiting belief? What's the practical, mathematical parts of what you have to pay for your rent and all of these different things? And hearing that why and hearing the experience, hearing the perspective from myself, from others, and then also in those slow sessions from herself. So I want to invite and encourage you to slow down this year, whether that is within the Healing Burnout course, which I would be absolutely thrilled to have you a part of, but even if it's another format, I want you to see these two phases. First is the outside slowing, your schedule, your pace, being less frantic, hustling less. And the second is the inside slowing, knowing yourself, having more self-compassion, having more kindness to yourself, which means you treat others with more kindness, which means you make the world more kind. And that second one is where the life change is. And I think that's also why I realized why the Elegant Excellence Journal has been so powerful for people and now why the Healing Burnout Course is so powerful for people because it addresses both the outside and the inside, but we don't stop at the outside. So many programs are about how to structure, how to stay focused, how to manage your time, how to batch your schedule, or things are about the inside. Let's talk about your mental health. Let's talk about self-coaching, but it's the bridge between the two. It's a two-part recipe for ultimately the full slowness that ultimately becomes life-changing because another student, Elizabeth, commented on one of my Instagram posts and she said, the Healing Burnout course really restored, this is about last week's podcast episode topic. She said, it really restored some inner confidence for me for sure. The confidence to choose what I really want in my life right now, skip the shame over a myriad of past failures that created my current situation and choose the next steps forward without consulting anyone else because I listened to the inner voice of my soul. I can't wait to see what I will be able to say next January, assuming I stay the course in 2023. And I replied to her, I love this so much, and you will stay the course. I know that, Elizabeth, because this way is actually easier. It feels better. It's the more natural way to lean. So even when it's two steps forward and one step back because it's a journey and we're not going to be perfect and the cultural indoctrination is so deep and we get so many messages saying the opposite, it always gets better. The schedule, the outside, if you haven't changed the inside, the why, the stories, the fears, the motivations, the beliefs, the culture, then all of that outside can can come back. Your circumstances change, your finances change, you get a new slap of face in the universe, there's a bump in the road, you start to feel pressure, you start to be influenced by other people. The, the outside can change if the inside hasn't changed. But when you get to that second layer and you change internally, you can't imagine going back because it just it feels gross. Like, can you think of something in your own life 
that you have stopped. And now you're like, ugh, I can't believe how, like, I used to eat so much sugar. Or, yeah, I smoked. I just can't even believe that I smoked. Or I um, I had an affair. And at the time, I was like, I, I thought that I was happy in that. Or I... I just I I used to gossip a lot. I really like I thrived on drama. And now you look back at yourself, however many years later, and you think like, that just feels so unappealing. <laughs> and it's because you changed the outside, what you the action you were taking, eating sugar, smoking the cigarette, having the affair, living in the drama. And you now feel better inside, physically, emotionally, mentally. And at the time, you thought that action was making you feel better. The sugar is self-soothing. The smoking calms me. It makes me feel sexy. The affair makes me feel sexy. Gossiping makes me feel better about myself than others. Drama makes me feel like there's something exciting happening in my life. You were doing it because you thought it was making you feel better. And now, by comparison to the new choices you're making, you're like, oh my gosh, that actually was making me feel so much worse. So you're not going to go back because you're not a masochist. You're not going to do something you know feels horrible. At the time... You thought it was feeling good. You thought it was the best feeling that you could have. And that's why true healing isn't something we're ever going to fall off of. Again, yes, it will be two steps forward and one step back. I got burned out again in the fall because a of circumstances that were happening in my life. It doesn't mean my life is smooth sailing and it's easy and it's perfect. And I'm always so conscious to share that because I never want to give this idealization of like, Everything is just going to be so zen if you can do this. But the better it feels, the better you want to feel. And so you keep leaning in that direction once you have the tools to just know how to start. And I think this slowness, which I think you can tell from this conversation today, it's not about life minimalism. It's not about having the tiniest life with the fewest amount of things. It's about life enjoyment. It's enjoying being with yourself. Counterintuitively, there's actually an abundance that comes from the slowness. And I think that slowness is where the magic of life is. That from that place is how we feel we are living with authenticity, integrity, confidence, peace, kindness, and joy. I am so grateful to have others on this journey with me, you sharing your stories, giving me fresh perspectives and encouragement on Instagram and inside the Elegant Excellence community and in your beautiful reviews here on the podcast. I know it is countercultural. It is not the majority of messaging that we receive and we unpack that inside the course, all of the reasons why it is to other people's benefits that we stay exhausted and busy and sprinting and all of that. But it is the less chosen but so much better path and it feels less daunting, more common, and therefore so much more possible with a whole community like this one doing it together. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. Yes, something I'm loving lately is that we are getting into award season. And I love award season for reasons that I hear no one else talk about why they love award season. Uh, first of all, I don't even really watch the shows. I mean, I guess maybe if they're on, that's fine, but I don't really stay up late past my bedtime to watch them and I don't really care about them all that much. And sure, red carpets are fun. Again, if they're on, I'll watch. I'll just look at the recap the next day. Pretty things, always lovely. But what stands out to me every year, and I don't necessarily look for it, what happens is when the awards shows get here, the stories start to roll in, and I remember, oh yes, this is what I love about awards shows. And for me, that is stories of people working for many years before they reach the apex of their career, or having a many years lull between when they had an amazing thing happen in their career and then another amazing thing happens. It is, I think, because my heart is to explore what makes women feel beautiful and because so much of our Western beauty story is tied to youth and because we live, we also have the biological reality of fertility with women. We are expanding some of that through our scientific 
options and possibilities, and yet that still does exist there, so it's not entirely a made-up beauty story. There also are some realities of age that if we choose to biologically have children, gives us some constraints. So there's all those stories going on. And so whenever I can focus my eyes and my attention on women who are older that I find incredibly beautiful, women in their 60s, in their 80s, who I look at and say, I would love to look like her. I would love to dress like her. I see all of the beautiful beauty stories on the outside that are coming for me, that I'm just not even close to the end of my possibility and my creativity and my new phases of what my style is and how I dress and what I look like. I'm always looking for that to see and say, it gets better. Oh my gosh, look at the exciting things that are coming. And I do that whenever I see a story as well about success, about dreams, about accomplishments. And we don't see many examples in society of of people where we really see their success, right? More of our stories tend to be things that have gone wrong. We have more stories about random celebrities you've never heard of on a TV show you never even watched that passed away at a, at a at a young age, at an old age. We focus more on that. There's more headlines on that or things that have gone wrong, wars and criminal cases and shootings and things like that rather than because we click on negative more than positive. This gives them news more revenue, et cetera. It's all baked into the model. So the awards show is the one time that I can think of that every year there is a season where they believe this is going to get clicks and views. And so they publicize it and they promote it and people have a vested financial interest. And if you pay attention within the stories, you get to be encouraged by examples of people who have worked hard for many years and are now reaching the apex of their career. And then you can say, this is happening in a ton of other industries that I don't know about. There's so many other examples of this. They're just not, quote, celebrities, so they're not getting into the news. So this year, for example, it was uh, Jennifer Coolidge of Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly is the name that I was searching for. Jeremy and I went to an NBA game over the weekend, and Paul Bettany was there. And they always, at, at Brooklyn and New York, there's always celebrities. They always like, you know, pan the camera over to them or whatever. And they, Paul Bettany is, plays Vision in Marvel. Jeremy's a huge Marvel fan. Paul Bettany is at the game that we're at. I'm like, oh, oh, that's really cool. Like, look, a Marvel person's here. Then he walks by us later, but I notice him because in front of him is his wife, Jennifer Connolly, who is stunning, by the way. And I say to Jeremy, why, why didn't they show both of them? It was like, his wife is also incredibly famous. Why did they just focus on him? Why not just take one step back as the cameraman and show both of them? But anyways, I couldn't tell him who it was. He was like, who is his wife? And I was like, Jennifer Coolidge. And I was like, no, 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 Jennifer. And I just drew a blank then. I couldn't, I had it a moment later, but when you think about the last names, there's like double letters in there. So anyways, an aside. Jennifer Coolidge, who I adore, Jennifer Connolly, who was also amazing. Jennifer Coolidge, in this example, just won for White Lotus. I want to say she is in her 60s. I believe this was her first big award. If you didn't listen to her speech, by the way, I recommend that you Google it. What was the awards show we just had? Was it the Golden Globes or the Emmys? I think it was the Golden Globes. So gold, Google G- Golden Globes, Jennifer Connolly. You know what? We will put it in the link below here. We'll put it in the description. It's just a wonderful speech where she says, as a young girl, I had a lot of big dreams. And then life kind of beats you down sometimes. It doesn't go the way that you expected it to. And I didn't have a lot of opportunities. And now she's getting these incredible parts. Like it's not even, it's not even like some random thing that she got famous for. This isn't the equivalent of, you know, going viral or something. This is a phenomenal two seasons of a show with this really juicy role that everyone's in love with and finds so compelling. And I just love that. The lead actor and actress in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. She's been in the business for 40 years. I believe this was her first award. He was a kid actor in Indiana Jones a million years ago, so like had success younger. Now has been behind the camera for a lot of years. Uh, winning as well. I look at stories like that and think, well, I had all of this success with a Broadway tour and the Radio City Rockettes, you know, when I was in my really early 20s. 
is that the coolest thing on paper that I'm ever going to do? Because honestly, right now, I have a job that might seem cool to you. I don't know. You're listening to this podcast. You may follow me on Instagram. But my parents can't explain what I do. It sounded a lot cooler when they were like, what does your daughter do? Oh, she's on a Broadway tour. Oh, she's performing with the Radio City Rockettes. Now people are like, what does your daughter do? They're like, um, she runs her own business. Um, you know what I mean? It's just not like, it's not as jazzy and snazzy a thing as to be like, oh, she won a Golden Globe, which I don't have aspirations to ever win a Golden Globe, but whatever the equivalent of that is. And Within those stories, I also want to acknowledge there often are elements of, well, we haven't had a lot of roles historically for maybe a curvy woman like uh, Jennifer Coolidge. Now I'm going to get it mixed up with Connolly. Jennifer Coolidge. Or we haven't had a lot of incredible roles for Asian American women leads, Asian male leads. But even in those stories, I then celebrate we're making progress in the same way that if there are more women who have run for office and women who have been elected, like those are still, yes, it's sad. We can look at it as sad that we have to celebrate having our first black president, let's say, or before that, our first black secretary of state many years earlier. But it also is a celebration that we are now getting to the point where MJ Rodriguez, who won last year, but I guess last year's wasn't televised. Again, I don't really pay attention to award shows. It's more like when the headlines are out the next day and I read them and I'm like, oh my gosh, there were some exciting stories in there. And those are the ones that I get excited about. So I guess last year's wasn't televised. She won. She was the first trans actor, I believe, to win maybe um, in, in any acting role in the Golden Globes. I'm not sure. And so this year, Ryan Murphy was being given a not a Lifetime Achievement Award. I don't think he's that old, but some sort of honor like that. And he made a point of saying MJ was not, with it not being televised or not being live, she didn't get the standing ovation from her peers in this room she should have received. So let's give her that now. And that just brought me back to like, oh, I don't think, I don't know if I tracked last year that the first trans actor won. And I just see all of those as like, hope for us individually and hope for us as a society. As a society, Are we moving in the right direction? Are we having more firsts? Because yes, we can look at, well, why didn't we have them before? But I find it more hopeful to focus on the celebration of, but we have them now. That we have this great role for Jennifer Coolidge that doesn't have to be the thin, young, hot, banging bikini body. We just haven't had a lot of those roles for women. We haven't had roles that a transgender woman uh, could do or or be casting or be accepted and celebrated in. So I see that as progress for us as a society, but then I also see it on this really granular level where, where I don't ever plan to be an actor trying to get into film, but what is it in my life, what is it in the life of my friends that I can look at and say, you could be the you could be getting to this level in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. You you could be decades away, based on however old you are right now, you could be decades away from the coolest thing that's ever happened to you, for from the greatest honor, from the most incredible opportunity that right now you might not even think is possible because you've never known someone who was 75 and did that. You've never known someone who has five kids and did that. But I also would say to you, are you sure? Have you sought it out? Are you absolutely sure? Can you go and find examples? Have you Googled people who've accomplished incredible things after this, with this circumstance? As you know, I'm always so passionate about looking for the receipts in life of what you want to be possible because If it's happened for other people, it can happen for you. And it doesn't have to mean that you're going to go forth and win a Golden Globe. But if you can look at that story and say, there was not a lot of opportunity for the first few decades, but it came and culture shifted. And that can be true for me as well as a autistic woman, as a gay parent, as a fill in the blank. And finding that encouragement. I think just for all of us, even someone like myself who doesn't fall into any of those minority boxes other than being a woman, but in this category, women are up against other women in this, you know, paradigm of awards shows. So for me, it really just is more the story of age, which applies to 
absolutely any of us because we all get that messaging. Men and women alike, there is so much emphasis on youth and we in Western culture do not respect aging and elders and we put so much emphasis on 30 under 30 lists and I am so incredibly unimpressed. Not to take that away from anyone, amazing, but 10 times more impressive to me if you did that in your 70s rather than in your 20s. If you wrote two books by the time, you know, if you if you published three bestsellers by the time you were 30, good for you. If you published three bestsellers between the ages of 55 and 65, way more impressive because it's it's just more rare and we don't see that story as much and every time we do, I just try to train my eyes on what do I want to believe and focus on and see is true that is positive for everyone, right? Also, it's not blocking out and being like, I just want my narrow little vision. Everyone wins when we believe there is more possibility with every decade of life. That takes away from no one because the 20-year-old's not getting it taken away from them. It's still possible for them in their 70s and every decade along the way, you know, or it's still possible for them in their 80s. Like, it doesn't take anything away from anyone. It just expands what's possible for everyone. And that is what I choose to focus on every awards show. So I will be looking for those stories in, what do we have next? Like the Emmys, I think, and then the Oscars. Again, I'm not really an awards show person, so I don't even know the schedule. I don't even know the rhythm, but but I love that. And I will continue to be looking for it in sports this season, in all, all manner of things. So I hope that gives you a little bit of inspiration to look for the good and the truth and the possibility that you want to be true in the world for you and for everyone else as we head into another wonderful week. And I will see you right back here next Wednesday with grace and gumption. P.P.S. Remember, if you are listening to this live, that I am hosting my 13 Signs of Burnout Masterclass and opening enrollment for the Healing Burnout course and the Elegant Excellence community. Find the links below, join us today, and I will see you inside. next Wednesday.